few weeks, uh, three weeks or so, we've been learning about the, the covenant, the blood covenant. This has been a central theme that we will see has been running throughout scripture, but it's one that we don't often hear about. It's one that I don't remember ever in church ever learning or growing up hearing about. And, uh, but it was a ceremony that would have united and binded together two people or two parties forever. Uh, and then uh, a couple weeks ago, we looked at the Old Testament. We looked at some of those Old Testament covenants. And uh, we followed that then by looking how our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ has completed every single step of the covenant himself. And how this Old Testament covenant is now the new covenant of Christ. And so we need to do just a quick review here. And again, you can take notes there and write these down. So there's 10 different steps in the covenant. And uh, if we're going to go through these pretty quickly here, uh, the first one is the exchange of robes or the exchange of an identity. And so we learned last week that as we are in a covenant with Jesus himself, that as people experience me, they should be experiencing Jesus. Uh, when people see me, they should see Jesus, right? So uh, same for you. When people see you, they should be seeing Jesus. The second was the exchange of belts. And this represented the exchange of strengths. And uh, remember, there's not a whole lot that I get to bring to this covenant with with Christ. There's not a whole lot besides myself that I can offer him. And in exchange, he gives me his strength. And so I can say that I am strong in Christ, even though I am weak. The third was the exchange of weapons. And this was to represent the exchange of enemies with our covenantal partner. Um, we now learned because of last week that uh, I have the power to resist Satan. Jesus has already taken on the price for my sin. He has already defeated our greatest enemy, and that is an eternal separation from God. And in exchange, we get to take upon his enemy in the covenant. The fourth is that sacrificial animal. Remember, this is the blood covenant. And so we learned last week that Jesus is, in fact, our sacrificial lamb. Step five was the walk of death. And this is where the two parties would actually walk through the blood of that sacrifice. And we learned last week that maybe, just maybe, uh, that Jesus did his own walk of death. But in that walk of death, he was carrying the cross that belonged to you and I. He carried our cross. Uh, step six is the striking of hands, or it's the sign of the covenant. To remember, uh, in those days, they would uh, either make a, a mark on their wrist, and they would shake hands so that it would intermingle their blood with one another. But it was also my sign of the covenant that if I were to show you my wrist, you knew that I was in a covenant with someone. In the Old Testament, we see that uh, mark on the body as circumcision. And, but now uh, we are circumcised of the heart. And so people should still see the mark of the covenant in my life, but they should see that through how I love one another or how we love one another. The seventh uh, 
step is the pronouncement of blessings and curses. And for this one, we are pretty much the, uh, the recipient of all the blessings. Um, Jesus took our curse of death when we broke the covenant. Number eight is the covenantal meal. And remember in uh, the covenant, and we still do this today in our wedding ceremonies and that, that uh, marriage covenant, that they, we would feed one another. And this was to represent that not only is my blood going through your veins, but now I am part of you and you are part of me. And last week we took communion together. And I hope that that is a new sense of what communion is, is that as we are uh, taking in those elements that we would understand that he is part of us and he has given us his Holy Spirit to live in us today. Number nine is the exchange of names. Jesus uh, is now considered, or he calls himself the son of man. And you and I are called Christians, which very literally means little Christ's. We have taken upon his name uh, to ourselves, And then number 10, of course, is the exchange of that firstborn son. Where God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So we're going to spend today really looking at those steps two and, and three here. And if you are in covenant with Jesus... And you are, if you have received his gift of salvation, you possess a very powerful tool. And that's what I would hope to unleash in us today uh, to enable within you this powerful tool. This tool was given to us when Jesus conquered the grave. And it's called a spiritual authority. And it's only available to us because Christ has entered into a covenant with us. And so I brought my keys this morning. I got a whole bunch of uh, keys on here. There's even keys on here. I have no clue what they go to. Anybody else have those keys as well? I have no idea what they go to. There's, uh, there's one key on here though that can lock every single door in this church. All right, so every single door, uh, that is the master key. And I can open up all of those doors because I have the authority to open those doors. So the church board has uh, asked me or hired me to be the lead pastor. And part of that is that I have authority over the church doors. There is a door, though, in this church that I have no key to. It's a door that I have no access to, and that is the door to the safe. I can't get in the safe, even if I were to want to get in the safe. And that's because I don't have the authority to take your tithe money and do whatever I want with it. Right? It's probably somebody should say amen. amen. I can't say God wants a BMW and he wants me to drive it. I can't say that. I don't have the authority to do that. And so there is a door on that safe that I do not have access to. And so that door for me is meant as a barrier. But, is, but the barrier no longer can hinder me if I have the key to that door. 
I can't lock myself in my office and refuse to come out because there are others here that also have a key to my office. And they can get in my office and they can say, come on, Pastor Brian, it's time to preach. You can do this. All right. So as Christians, we possess the key to the kingdom of God, which means that we have authority over anything that would want to hinder us. And that means we have power against our enemy. Jesus didn't just exchange enemies with us. He has equipped us to deal with his enemy, the devil, with Satan. And nothing that enemy could throw at me, nothing that enemy could put in my way should deter me or slow me down or ever cause me to give up. Why? Because I have the key of authority. And that authority is the power of of God. That power is the same power that was available when Jesus rose from the dead that is available to us today. And the spiritual authority of the believer is revealed to us. Paul talks about it in the book of Ephesians. Now, maybe before this series, this uh, passage was one that you might have been familiar with, but we probably had no idea that all of these verses are verses of the covenant. These are all covenantal verses. And so in that book, the apostle Paul explains that all believers have the power to stand against Satan and his dominion. We have that power through Jesus Christ. We have that power. That power is our key of authority. It's not that I have a personal jurisdiction over Satan, but we have been given the power to stop him. That power assures us that we have victory over our enemy because he has already been defeated. Jesus defeated him some 2,000 so years ago when he went to that cross, when he bled, when he died, when he rose again. And he did that for all of his people in covenant with him. And some believers think that that spiritual authority though, or that spiritual power over our enemy is just reserved for a few people. Maybe the pastor has it. Probably uh, some missionaries and evangelists have it. Some other church leaders have it, but that's not the case. The truth is that spiritual authority over Satan belongs to every person who has called upon Jesus to be their personal savior. Every person who has repented of their sins and trusts him enough to follow him and to obey him. You received the key to the kingdom of God when you gave your life to Christ. Again, it's not your authority but it's his authority over our enemy. This is a truth that that Satan doesn't want the church to know. He sure doesn't want us to practice this authority. He wants us to be defeated. Remember, the thief only comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And he wants to continue to do everything he can to dominate us in any way he can. And uh, he will do anything to keep us from living a life of victory that God has promised us. 
Satan knows that if the church would exercise its spiritual authority over him, then he would be powerless against the church. So what is this authority? Simply put, this authority is a delegated power. A delegated power. I want you to think about this for a moment. If I were to walk outside and I go up here to this intersection of Veterans and Broadway and I just put my hands up in order to stop traffic, how long do you think it's going to be before somebody runs me over? Right? It's not going to take very long, right? But you put a person with a badge and a uniform out in that intersection and traffic comes to a halt. All they have to do is raise their hand and cars stop. They don't stop the cars uh, with any physical strength. They have a delegated power to do that. A delegated power which has been invested in them by the government that they serve. Listen to this uh, example of authority, of designated power. Back in the 1950s, the governor of Massachusetts was Christian Herter. And he was running for his second term and he was out campaigning and he arrived at a church picnic and was invited to uh, join the church picnic. And he was starving. It had been a long day. And he grabbed his plate and he was moving down the serving line and he held out his plate for a piece of chicken. And the woman serving chicken put one piece of chicken on his plate and she started to serve the next person. Kind of sounds like man church, right? So she, she served him one piece of chicken. And the governor said to the woman, excuse me, but may I have another piece of chicken? And she replied, I'm sorry, but I've been told to give everyone one piece of chicken. And he said, but I am starving. And she said, I'm sorry, one piece per person. And he was a little ticked at this point, And he said, do you know who I am? I am the governor of this state. And the woman said, do you know who I am? I am the woman in charge of the chicken. Move along. That woman had authority, didn't she? She had a delegated power over the chicken in that line. Now listen carefully to this. The very day, the very hour, The very second that you became born again, redeemed and washed by the blood of the Lamb of God, you received the power to resist the devil. You received authority in spiritual matters. But too often I think Christians believe that this authority was just for the people back in the Bible. Just in the people uh, that we read about in the pages of God's word. Or maybe it's reserved to people in other countries because those are the things that they have to deal with. We have to remember that we need to exercise spiritual authority in Pekin. Amen? I have witnessed way too many people constantly fighting a losing battle in their life. It's not that these people aren't Christian. It's just that they're not using the tools that are available to them to resist the power of our enemy. 
I've seen too many people become complacent in their prayer life because nothing seems to happen. When in reality, they weren't expecting it to. We wanted it to happen. We wished it would happen. It would have been really great if it did happen. We just don't believe it's going to happen. And therefore, our enemy keeps bombarding us over and over. What we are forgetting, though, is that our enemy, the devil, is not a law-abiding citizen. He doesn't like to play by the rules. He is the lawless one. So what happens when the police officer attempts to stop traffic and somebody speeds right on through the intersection? Does she shrug her shoulders and just say, well, I guess that didn't work. I didn't believe he would stop anyway. No, she turns up her authority, doesn't she? She calls for backup and that lawbreaker is pursued. And so it is with our authority as believers. We need to understand that the infinitely powerful government of heaven is our backup. Remember though, our enemy doesn't like to go down without a fight. Satan doesn't like to let go of his victims. And so as God's children who possess the keys to heaven, you and I need to pursue. We need to press in. We need to insist on being obeyed. Sometimes that police officer might have to use force. And sometimes a believer does too. But never against one another. Our enemy is much greater than that. That's why the Apostle Paul tells us to stand firm in Ephesians 6. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now if you were to go out to look at my truck this morning, it's parked back here, back by door G, and you were to look at my truck, you would see 610 EPH because this is my verse. I, numbers have to go first on a truck, so it says 610 Ephesians. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So I'm going to read the, the rest of this passage here for you, at least through verse 13. And I'm reading probably, in a, it's going to be in a different uh, version than what's in your handout. You have the NIV, we're going to return to that, but for this portion I'm going to read from the NLT. It says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against the evil spirit, spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will be standing firm. Church, we need to make sure that we are not just taking off the armor of God. 
and, and then tempting the devil just to throw his fiery darts at us unprotected. I've seen too many times when the church has removed our helmet of salvation and we've taken off that breastplate of righteousness. They've cast aside the gospel of peace. We've thrown down our spirit's shields of faith and we've forgotten about our sword of the spirit, the word of God. We've forgotten that the word of God that came through the prophet Isaiah says this, no weapon formed against you will prevail and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and this is their vindication from me. So what are these keys to exercising our spiritual authority against the enemy? I'm so glad you asked me that this morning. <clears throat> First of all, we need to understand where our spiritual authority comes from. It comes from Jesus, nowhere else. Jesus who possesses all authority. Jesus said in one of his last statements uh, on, to the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Did you catch that? All authority has been given to him. Not some to him and a portion to our enemy. Not maybe even just a little bit for us. No authority has been given to us except through Jesus. He demonstrated his authority from the very beginning of his ministry here on earth. He had the authority to change water into wine. He had the authority to command the wind and the waves. He had the authority to heal the sick and the crippled. He had the authority to open up blind eyes. He had authority to raise the dead back to life. He had the authority to teach the word of God. And Jesus possesses all authority over all things. There is not one other spiritual leader that could ever claim that. Second, our authority is based solely upon our relationship with Jesus. We have a spiritual authority because we are in a relationship with Christ. And I cannot stress how important our relationship with Jesus is because without him, you and I are nothing. Without Jesus, we have zero authority. Without Jesus, we're just some nut standing in the middle of that intersection trying to stop traffic. We get, a, we get to exercise our authority because we are in a relationship with him. Because you and I, as Christians, as followers of Christ, are in a covenant with Jesus himself. And so that word relationship is a rather general word. So let's look and see what the Bible has to say about this relationship we should be in with him. And the Bible says that a good relationship with God is, you know, it, it puts it several different ways, but maybe the simplest is this. He is Lord and master and we are our, his servants. We get to honor, 
revere and obey our perfect and good Lord. But even that is not a complete picture because Jesus does something else for us. He said that we can have more. He said in the book of John, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you my friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. It's because of our relationship with Jesus that we are called to be his friend. And by maintaining our relationship with Christ, it means that all that God has is available to us. We get to be part of the master's business. So how do we do that? How do we maintain that relationship with Jesus? There are so many different points that I, and tips or maybe things that I could share with you on just how to maintain your relationship your, uh, with, with Jesus. But I think we need to go back to Ephesians chapter 6. I think we need to look at this armor of God. And so let's look back at verse 13 and read the rest. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. See, the belt of truth here is easy to understand because Satan, our enemy, is called the father of lies. Deception is high on the list of things that God considers disgraceful. A lying tongue is one of the things that he describes as detestable to him. We, church, are to be the truth for ourselves, but also to the benefit of every single person that we get to witness to. The belt of truth. The breastplate, though, shielded a uh, warrior's vital organs from attacks. Otherwise, those attacks would have been fatal. So the breastplates of righteousness represents Jesus as our Lord and Savior and his righteousness in our lives. Remember in that exchange of identities that he has taken upon our sin and we get to take on his righteousness. And he is protecting us from the sin that would destroy us otherwise. And this righteousness is not works, not done by men and women, but this is the righteousness of Christ received by faith in an exchange because of the covenant. And it guards our hearts against the accusations and the charges of our enemy. And it secures our innermost beings from his attack. Our feet are to be fitted with the gospel of peace. And this represents our covenantal partnership with Christ to proclaim to the world 
the word of God, to speak the gospel. We are to advance into Satan's territory with the good news that God is love and that Jesus has come to save us from our sins. And the shield of faith is that entire covering. It makes Satan's doubt about the faithfulness of God and his word ineffective to us. Hebrews 1 or 11 verse 1 says this. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So faith is more than just this feeling, right? To have faith is to have confidence that God did indeed create the world, that God did indeed send his son to die for our sins so that you and I could have eternal life. And if we have faith in Christ, it should influence the way we live our lives. And our faith will guard us during our trials in the same way a shield would guard us in battle. Our faith in Christ is what protects us. We stand firm in knowing what we believe is true. The helmet of salvation is a part of armor that protects our head from all those different philosophies in this world, against all the different, uh, the false teachings that are confusing to this world. And a person that does not know Jesus has no hope for warding off the blows of false doctrine because his mind is incapable of discerning between spiritual truth and spiritual deception. The sword of the spirit is the active weapon that continually is striking blows against our enemy. When Jesus was tempted in the desert, it was the word of God that was always his overpowering response to Satan. A couple weeks ago, I incorrectly spoke by saying that the armor of God was all offensive and none of it was defensive. And what I meant by that uh, when I misspoke is all of the armor of God is actually defensive because all of it is used for our protection. Even the sword can be used in defense. But what I meant by that statement is if you notice all of that armor is in front. I'm not protected in the back. And so we are not intended to turn tail and run away from our enemy. When we put on the armor of God, we are ensuring that our relationship with God through Christ is going to be our top priority on this planet. There's more here though. These verses are so important, but if we if often we stop there. When we go to verse 17 and we think, well, this is, this is great. We like to teach this. This is great to teach kids about in kids' church and kids' zone and, and go through all of the parts and pieces of the armor of God. And we stop at verse 17. But probably the most important verse is verse 18, where we get to call upon our covenant partner himself, for verse 18 says, and pray. 
and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keeping on, keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. We cannot forget verse 18. We cannot neglect the power of prayer. It is how we draw our spiritual strength from God. For without prayer, without this reliance upon God, our efforts at any sort of spiritual warfare are going to be empty and they're going to be ineffective. The full armor of God, truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, the word of God, and prayer are the tools that God has given us through which we can and will be spiritually victorious. Through which you and I will overcome any of Satan's attacks and temptations in our life. When we put that armor on, we have authority over our enemy. We have the power to resist him and even take back the things that he has stolen from us. You don't have to live a defeated life. You don't have to live a defeated life. You don't have to be people in despair. Living as a defeated person is like we've just allowed someone to lay us down and to, to chain us up and we are unable to get out and we'll never be able to escape unless we get the key. You don't have to be bound by the enemy anymore. You have the authority to be set free and take that which belongs to you because of our covenantal partner of Jesus Christ. You have the authority because Jesus lives in you, Christians. It doesn't matter what the enemy is throwing at you. It doesn't matter what he is trying to do to deceive you. You have been given the key of authority. The word of God tells us that if we resist the devil, he must flee. It's not that he's going to think about it. It's not that he's going to get around to it. Because when we place on the full armor of God and we stand in front of our enemy and take our authority that we have in Christ and we tell the devil to get out of here and to go, guess what? He's got to go. He's got to go. But our enemy is not stupid. He is cunning and he is crafty, but he is not stupid. He knows, though, his power is limited. And so he is going to fight as hard as he possibly can. But if he would come across a church full of believers, full of followers, full of Christians, all wearing the full armor of God, he's not stupid. He's going to flee He's going to take his limited power and move on somewhere else 
See, the question is, are we ready to take up our spiritual authority? Are you ready to exercise the power that has been given to you because you are in a covenant with Jesus Christ himself? Are we wearing the full armor of God? Let's bow our heads and, and pray. And if, if you were able to, would you stand with me? I don't know what the enemy has been trying to attack you with. I do know he's been trying. And I do know for a lot of people, he's been doing really good at it too. But what would happen if he would see this church with the full armor of God standing before him and saying, no more, not here, you gotta go. And so I just want all of us to to close our eyes, but I want you to be thinking about what that is that our enemy has been attacking you at or with. And I want you to represent that with one word. For some of you, it might be money. For some of you, it might be health or relationships or a struggle or an addiction For some of you, there's just so many things that you just need to say, help. And so I'm just going to ask you, and I'm just going to count to three. And I want you just to say that one word. And it's going to be a call upon our covenant partner that he would come and intervene in this situation. So let's do that now. On the count of three, would you just say that one word that represents what our enemy has been trying to take away from you, what our enemy has been attacking you, where he's been attacking you? And you know what? Somebody around you might hear you, and that's okay, because standing next to you is another covenant partner, and they got your back. So on the count of three, let's just call out to God with that one word. One, two, three. Lord Jesus, you have heard from your church the one thing that we need your help with more than anything. And Lord, your church is sick and tired of having our enemy come against us as if he had any power whatsoever over us. He does not have power over the covenantal partner with Christ. He does not. As long as we are wearing the full armor of God. And so, Lord, I would call upon your church this morning to make sure that when we leave our house of a morning, that before we come into church, even before we get out of bed in the morning, that we are wearing the full armor of God, and that we know that we are going out into this world to take by force, if need be, the things that our enemy has stolen from us. Remind us, Lord, that we are not in this fight with one another, but we are in this fight with the powers of this evil world. And we stand against him this morning 
The church of Jesus Christ stands against him this morning. And we say, you got to go. You got to flee. You have no authority here. You must go. And so, Lord, whatever we have prayed for this morning, whatever we have given over to you today, whatever we have asked for your help with, whatever, Lord, we have just laid down at your throne this morning, Lord, would you intervene? And would you allow this church, would you allow these people, would you allow these covenantal partners to have our back, Lord, to make sure that we do not allow our enemy to sneak in from behind? We are there for one another. We are there for this church. And Jesus, we are there for you. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for what you're doing. And we praise your name for what you are going to do. Lord, we tell our enemy right now, no more. You got to go. You must flee. We resist you by the power of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are to us. We thank you for your covenant. And we thank you that you love us enough that you want to be in a covenant with us. Lord, may we stand in your authority with your power. And may we go out into this hurting world and tell them exactly who you are, that you are love. Jesus, thank you for today. We ask, Lord, that you would be with us for the, our remainder of today, but also, Lord, in our Monday through our Saturday. May you bless us. May we bless you. And it's in your name that we pray. And all the church said together, amen. amen.